Welcome to episode 144 of Eventually Super Train. Yay! We're a short-lived TV show podcast. Cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will cover Super Train. In this episode, we are discussing the third episode of Lucan, myself, the great Amanda Reyes. I, myself, solo, am discussing the third episode of Gemini Man, filled with Puflug and Shoop. And then... We have an old guest. Well, an old, old guest as in not an old person. You know, I, I brought in an old person today to talk this show. No, no, no. An old guest, someone who's been on before. They will be joining me to discuss a brand new old show. This one's from the 80s. And I'm hoping... Um, I think most of you probably haven't seen it, but I think we're going to have fun discussing it. I won't tell you what it is. You might recognize the theme song when it pops up later, but you'll definitely recognize it after we talk about it. Or you might not. It's that kind of show. So anyway, uh, be good yourselves, everyone. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive right in to this nonsense. Let's do it. Episode 3, January 2nd, 1978, The Lost Boy, written by David Westheimer and directed by Sutton Raleigh. In this one, uh, he uh, he is now down in Texas. Lucan is now down in Texas, for heaven's sake. Lucan has found a news article saying uh, that the town he's about to go into has another lost boy in it, a lost boy who was able to find his family. So he wants to talk to the lost boy, find out how he found his family, find out, I guess just find out how he found his family. That's what he's after. And he meets the young man who has bad asthma, and his parents are these two uh, farmers who own a nice piece of land. He also meets a couple of jerk rednecks. Um, He also meets a young lady. He also runs into Cameron Mitchell, who plays like a lawyer or something, who's not very nice, and who wants something from the land that the lost boy is now living on with the old couple. And I'll just stop right there. Lucan gets mixed up in all of it, plus that guy who's after him arrives and all kinds of chaos and chicanery. So I'll just leave it at that. Dan? And I have Amanda Reyes with me. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I want to. Um, I want us to dive right into this. No, enough of the social niceties. Yeah, forget I want it. To dive right into. Forget it, because th- this is an episode that I think distinguishes itself by. Well, I'll say. I'll say why uh, I think it does. Um, but what did you think of the Lost Boy? I love this episode. So I remember nice. when I first watched Lucan a couple years ago when it was on uh, Warner Archive streaming. I did watch this one, but I feel like I I, I didn't remember any of it, and I re- and then I thought, oh, I actually have a memory of watching this and and being sort of distracted. I think I was doing other things when I watched it, and I didn't give it the time that it deserved. 
And I actually have a memory of that. Like, I think it was on my phone or something. And then I got confused as to what was happening in the story. So it kind of lost me. And then I, I kind of disengaged from it. And, and I would remember moments of it. And then, and then when I sat down to watch it this time with my full attention, I was like, I can't believe that I just totally dismissed this episode because it's incredible. It's amazingly filmed. Some of the camera work in this is so stunning and it's, it's really well made. It's really moving. Um, we could talk a little bit about Carl Bauer, who, um, is the character played by Ray Underwood, who's this uh, son, missing son character. And, um, and maybe talk about how he compares to who, uh, Leslie Nielsen played in the last episode, this idea of the graying of good and bad and people in, in, uh, the character arcs that these some of these people go through i don't i didn't word that right you know what i mean he's a very great yeah. character and he's really interesting um and he's really cute by the way um <laughs> and so <laughs> and and also uh this this is another episode it was not quite as weighty as the search like i wasn't in a bag of tears at the end of it or anything like that but it it is very moving and um and i feel like at this point Lucan is firing on all cylinders between this last episode uh, with the Grey Wolf and this one, and um, and I'm just like, oh my god, this show is amazing. I will say I didn't like this one as much as the previous <gasps> one. Okay, and yeah, I think maybe that, that. I, I agree. Think, okay, I think that was because of the wolf, <laughs> the wolf element in this. Yeah. I was actually, I was actually slightly confused with this one because in the previous one, he was in the Pacific Northwest. Now he's in Texas, and there's some distance in there, especially yes. when you're you're walking. Uh, and I guess I'm doing a lot of hitchhiking too, but he does have that good steady run. He does. He's a great runner. Out that he, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, um, again, we did, we discussed this in the, in the last episode, you know, there, there isn't meant to be much continuity between episodes, but I did sort of wonder, is he still, like you said, he has the, he still has the watch thing with him around his neck, but did he actually follow up on any of the watch stuff? Yeah. Because I, I, I cause I, I was slightly confused in the beginning because you see the newspaper article that says, you know, lost boy returns to parents in Texas. And that's where Lucan goes. And the bounty hunter knows to go there too. I thought that's, is that, you last saw him in the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Bounty Hunter. You have a car and resources. He has nothing. It seems it seems a little far fetched, but yet correct. So there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. So I can't call them out on that. I just I just did think it was weird because then this one starts. I mean, I could see like with the Route 66 or the Fugitive, you sort of going all over the place. And I love here too that they really. I don't know if they're in Texas when they made this, but it's a nice. It's not. A, an LA back lot. No. It's it's clearly somewhere. If if it's if it's not it's if it's in California, it's not in LA. It's somewhere outside, way outside of LA. Like the small town they're in has almost. It was funny, just that main street for some reason. Even though there's not a lake or water nearby, I thought of dead and buried for a moment. I don't know why, but it has sort of that wonderful small town feel where you know there are people killing other people behind yeah, the walls. You just know stuff like that. You just know that's happening. It, it made me and, think uh, of um, Dark Knight: The Scarecrow. I don't think it's Pyru, but oh, it, it has mm -hmm. that kind of very small town. Not a lot yes. changed in oh a century or so. You know what I mean? Where they're still using exactly, the same yeah. buildings that were built in the Wild West kind of thing, mm -hmm. and um, and it has that. Kind Kind of like which makes the small town corruption feel palpable to me yes. because it was yeah. rampant in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. And I do like you said, the direction is interesting because I, I I love some of it, like the um the scene where he's on the back of the pickup truck with 
Bubba and Junior. Yes. The moment you see those names come up in the credits, you're like, okay, I think I can pretty much figure Bubba and Junior. They're not going to be the college professors discussing Kierkegaard. They're probably going to be the dumb guys, maybe, maybe a bit racist, and they're going to say boy a lot. And that's exactly what they do. Well, um, there's this obsession, too, with, and I don't know if you were going to bring this up in your notes, but there's this obsession in this town with uh, Lucan being Mexican. Yeah, he's, he's, he's Mexican. He Mexican, Mexican, yeah. Mexican. And they just they just assume this because he's different than everybody. Mm. He he's not they're a normal local and he's got dark hair and so they cr- yeah. they create this like kind of identity for him. Mm-hmm. And and as a Mexican, I'm like, okay, I'm white yeah, passing what did you think too. Of that? We, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not that white <laughs> passing. And so like <laughs> I, I thought it well, I thought it was interesting and I thought it was kind of an interesting trait to kind of mm-hmm. like you talk about the racism in the town and and I kind of feel like that's a really neat sort of like mm-hmm. oh it's it just kind of lies underneath just to like they add this little thing just so you can see that that, that racism yes. is prominent in the town, right? And it was it was well, I thought I it was kind of an interesting touch. And almost like like part of it, you you wonder with some of them, is it like um, like some of them, like we're doing some pretty rotten stuff? Are we be are we justifying it in some way by saying hey, it was just the Mexican kid who came into town? Yeah, you know, so yeah, there like is that. an you element know, of that, absolutely. You know, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna go after a nice white boy who's coming through town. You don't do that. Go after the kid who looks because they do make a point of saying it over and over again in the start. And like I said, if you want to hear someone say boy. I mean, you thought you heard that in Phantasm and loved it. You're going <laughs> to love hearing it here because they say it a lot. It's 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 an interesting episode because um, it, it's 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 funny with the direction of that. Some spots I really love the direction. Things like the um, uh, like like I said, when he's in the back of the pickup truck and Bubba and Junior are giving him grief, and a lot of the shot is shot through a lawnmower like the, the, the handles of a lawnmower. So you get this kind of interesting composition where like he's kind of in the lawnmower thing and Bubba and, and I keep wanting to say Hotep, but Bubba and Junior are <laughs> like, like, like sort of outside of it. And then you get a lot of interesting um, uh, angle, but then you also get, and I'm not sure what he was doing with this, the scene where um, I look, I love a close up as much as the next guy, but there's a scene where the, the fake son goes to visit the the lawyer and he's the fake son is basically saying i'm not going to do this anymore we're done and the almost the whole scene is shot in extreme close-ups to the point where i thought did something go wrong why are there why is everything because you don't like this isn't the passion of joan of arc you know why is everything an extreme club? Because if you would have been watching this on the TV, you would have just been seeing huge shots. Well, of people's faces, which I think is, you would have been like, seeing semi huge shots because I don't think big TVs were as prominent in the seventies. Not really big TVs. My TV now is um, actually like a movie screen, mm-hmm. so it's like I don't even know. It's like Show ten off. feet. Yeah, it's 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 big, and so now everything looks like I watch my soap and I can see their pupils. Yes, yeah, I was watching. A, I was watching The Young and the Restless every day, and there was a scene of two characters in bed, and I thought, like on a high def on a big screen, they have the most beautiful skin I've ever seen. Yeah. I want to swim. I want to swim in their skin. Yeah, and so it's like, but but I think TVs back then were probably like the size of my computer monitor, I, and probably slightly bigger. And so, but I, I agree with you that did stick out to me that scene. But I feel like on on the on the small screen, it probably wasn't as awful as it looks now. <laughs> or or what, is what, distracting. 
What made me think is, be- is because normally if they do an extreme close-up, like in this, when they do extreme close-ups, it's of Lucan and his, he's doing something animally. Yeah, yeah. But here you have an entire scene that's like a minute and a half, and you just get these huge close-ups. And my thought was, did something, did, did they shoot like the master shot? And then a couple of like medium shots and then let's do some close-ups and maybe there was something wrong with the other shots because you wouldn't it's normally possible. see it's, I mean, cause I mean, watch the rest of this episode. I'll do it when we watch the next episode. If there is a dramatic scene where it's entirely made up of cuts back and forth of extreme close-ups of people's faces, I will admit that I'm wrong, but I, it's so obvious when it happens at first you think, the director's doing something here. Like I said, it's like the passion of Joan of Arc when you get all the close-ups of the judge's faces and Joan of Arc's face. And yet it's all very moving and all very powerful here. It's Cameron Mitchell yelling at a guy. It's, it's, it just, it's, it's, it felt weird to me, but then I could just be, I don't know. I could. No, I mean, it's, I think it stood out to me too, but that's only because everybody looks bigger than life size now to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, true. That's yeah, really big. Yeah. And so, you know, where I might not have noticed it, like, mm-hmm. even on the TV I, think, I had prior to this. I think normally, normally in a scene like that, it would have been mostly medium shots. You would have seen yeah. their face and some shoulder, maybe over the shoulder. But just to see a full-on face is like, it's kind of but I'm going to stop there. Well, it was what great faces, though. I mean, you got Cameron Good Mitchell, faces, right, with faces. his yeah. Coke bottle glasses yeah. playing <laughs> Tilford Ames. And, and he's so good in this. And then you've got mm-hmm. Ray Underwood as Carl Bauer. Who yeah. um, sticking up to him? Yeah, and uh, and he's this very complex. But at first, we don't know. He's just kind of mealy mouthed and kind of mm-hmm. weak, which is yeah. part of the character growth that he goes through. But like, um, and so you're kind of seeing this dynamic between the two. And, and I mean, I thought it was cool. I mean, uh, Cameron Mitchell, he's going to eat up the scenery anyway. Sure, might course. as well just yeah. go so close not? up on him. Yeah, just let us True. see it True. as it's happening. Maybe that was it. Yeah, Maybe he just, that was it. But... Yeah, he's so good in everything, but like he it's like he becomes other people, you know, mm-hmm. when he works and um and he also does a lot of like he's not just reliable, he's a Christopher George to me, like and I'm gonna re- yeah. reference Charlie's Angels here because there's a Charlie's Angels two parter with Christopher George where he is at the Angels office, right? The Townsend Agency office, mm-hmm. and he's talking about why he the, he hasn't hired the angels, but somebody has hired him on his behalf and because his partner died. I think he's an agent of some kind, not a cop, but an agent. And mm-hmm. and he's telling the story and they just and, he, and he's talking about how this guy was my friend and now he's dead. And it's like, OK, give this guy the Oscar. Yeah, he's, I, he's on Charlie's Angels, but this is a whole other performance I'm yeah. watching. I've never seen the, yeah. anything like this before. And then Cameron Mitchell did another episode later, replays this drug addict who had gone to prison because of Kelly and he ends up um, being a part of this. There's a whole misunderstanding happens like a threes company kind of. And then she ends up being aligned with him. And so these other people that are looking for Cameron Mitchell kidnap her thinking she's related to him in some more intense way because they need something that he took from them before he went to jail and they get her hooked Mm -hmm. on smack and she gets stuck in the same room with Cameron Mitchell, who's also a drug addict and they have this back and forth and, and Cameron Mitchell's just like knocking it out of the park. And you're like, yeah. and I mean, and I love that show. I will defend that show, but the, some of the acting on that is crazy good and it doesn't get recognized. And that's uh-huh. because they use people like Cameron Mitchell where yeah. they, yeah. okay, you're going to, you've got five days to do this. And he, somehow he makes it like he's doing like a one man show on Broadway for seven months. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. And it's amazing to watch him. So just having him in this episode just upped it for me. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the moment he shows up, you know, you know, in you're in the vicinity, like when Henry Silva shows up in something. Oh yes. You're, whenever, whenever you see him, you're kind of in the vicinity of knowing what sort of character this is, and and you just watch him and enjoy. Oh, so good. And 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 I, I think one of the things I like about the, and I, I do have it playing right here, and I will say that the, the director Sutton Raleigh uses does use a bunch of other interesting angles, like the, the first. The first scene where Lucan sits down with the two um, Bowers, Ma and Pa Bauer, it's all shot through a window that's half open. And like Ma, Pa Bauer and Lucan are like in the bottom half of the window and Ma Bauer is like moving around in the top half with like pie and stuff. And so there's this interesting sort of space that he's put into like with the lawnmower. Um, and then weird things like, um, what is it like? There's a shot with Cameron Mitchell, like talking to a jerk and the camera is like on the ground, like looking up at yeah. Cameron Mitchell. And there's like two books in the foreground, and Cameron Mitchell is in the center with his pipe in his mouth. And and like on the in the far left in the background is this guy saying, We gotta get him to sell that land. We got and it's just like he he's it it is really now the the more I look at it, the more I think maybe the extreme close-up thing was um a stylistic choice rather than a oops. Yeah, one of the, one of, we had a problem with the camera when we were doing the, the this is what I meant the when the last episode when I said that this show is starting to verge on art because okay. yeah. it's mm -hmm. it's and then came Bronson then came Bronson had this really interesting visual quality to it now I've only seen the pilot but it's got like the approach it takes is so different than how we recognized the TV movie after that mm -hmm. and actually all TV movies from the 60s I'm starting to find have this really interesting aesthetic to them and so this mm -hmm. and son Rowley made tv movies he, he made satan's triangle as the one i'm thinking of with kim novak which is oh, an yeah. amazing film yes and yeah. and i kind of feel like this show the the last two episodes that we've seen i don't know if it carries through we'll find out has this just this really interesting approach it feels like it took more than seven days to film these you know like they, yeah. they were really making them like not mini movies but but there was something else happening there that you didn't see in a lot of television at the time he was he yeah they, they, they like I have this the scene on right now where they're they're at the um the uh the dance the barn burning whatever yes. I, I, I don't mean the barn burning when they burn the barn burner is in a hell of a dance kind of thing and they're at the dance and they and the um you see Lucan and the um the lost son uh, step in and there, there's a great shot where the camera is just like tracking back and tracking back and they're walking through the crowd and everyone's dancing and then the camera kind of stops and then goes to the right and now it's behind like a, a, a table full of Cokes and RC Colas and half-eaten watermelon rinds and the camera kind of goes behind that as they walk up to it and start picking through the rinds to get themselves a Coke. Cameron Mitchell shows up behind him and says hello That's really it's like it's that's a huge crowd of people in there. Yeah. That's a lot of people to move around and everything. And to, to do so much of that in just one shot like that, it reminds me of the, um, and this is actually a, an opposite. What is it? Is it um, uh, the story when they made happy birthday to me? Yeah. And they tell, I, th I think it's in going to pieces where they tell the story where they're, I think I was in happy birthday to me where there, there's a big like party or something and there's one scene that's almost done entirely like in one big crane shot where the camera kind of goes over the crowd and then lowers itself into the two main oh, characters whatever as they're talking maybe this, the only scene i can think of that would be in that film is when they go to that beer hall with the steins that, remember that and they could, put the rat in the beer I, it could be I, I i think i might be thinking of no no i'm thinking of 
what the hell slasher am I thinking of? I'll get back to everyone, but there's one, and I want to say, I, I forget which one I'm thinking of, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to you. But it was it was a scene like that, and it, was it the Prowler? Yeah, it could. Uh, I mean, now I'm it, thinking. I wonder if it's House on Shorty Row because they have that big party mm, scene too. Because because there's a scene where they describe in that where they say they they had like this location for like ten hours, and they spent like nine hours setting everything up, and they kept going to the director and saying. Uh, this has got to get done. This has got to get done. He says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then with like 15 minutes left, they did it all in one long take. And then it was over. Wow. And and this sort of reminds me of that. You have all these people. It's a TV show. You have all these people. You have this huge location, well, pretty big location. And it's clearly, I will say this, there are, I think it's it's nearing Christmas time in this episode because on or it's around Thanksgiving because on a storefront you see a sign that says Thanksgiving gifts, and in the in the in the dance there are wreaths, Christmas mm. wreaths hanging oh, from the rafters. I didn't notice but, that. But 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 the but the shot, but like that 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 tracking shot in here sort of made me think of um, whatever movie that is. I'm thinking of God. I feel like an idiot now. I thought it was happy, but it's not. Um, uh, the um, j- just the fact that uh, he he could have done that like just had everyone dance and just did a couple of quick shots you know like oh they're entering now they're at the uh, and now they're at the table but instead he did it in one long tracking shot that goes back and you see everyone dancing and you see how huge everything is in one take yeah. and then you see this tiny wimpy little table <laughs> with all the watermelon rides and stuff on it and I think it's it's a nice thing it, it really is um, it really is nicely directed and I, I also too I, I like the truck parked halfway up the hill oh, it was image, great which yeah is kind, of, kind of a weird image and it's kind of a neat and like when all the guys jump on top of him and then he kind of throws them all off that it's was great too yeah really really nice moments what else on this one let me look at my notes well, it's well, again we've got this idea of family building because so carl who is the lost son isn't really their lost son we find out and we're pretty sure he's not actually and there's some really interesting moments like when luke can comes to the house so Carl's really mixed up about a lot of st- a lot of stuff, and um and I think it's not so much that Lucan is the outsider, but also that he's been putting up these, he's lying and he's really conflicted over it. And but there's this moment when um, Ida May Bauer, the mother, goes to introduce Lucan to Carl, and he's laying in his bed. And he's got his back turned to them and he's facing the camera and he's kind of very mean to the mom. And then she's like, well, I want you to meet Lucan. And then he kind of switches gears and he's like, just put the food there, mama. I'll have it when I get hungry. And Mm -hmm. he changes because he doesn't know how to be around these people. And it's really interesting. And um, I found myself really drawn to Carl because he was that like, super great character like we saw in the previous episode with Leslie Nielsen because we're not we're, we know he's been planted there we're pretty sure mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of mystery about that because even in the opening scene that one guy talking to um, Cameron Mitchell's like oh you know I can't keep the surveys private for much longer and you're like once you start to realize that they've hooked in on the Bauer land you're like oh I mm-hmm. bet there's oil on that field and um, yeah, yeah. and you know so there's and you're starting to put things together pretty easily by yourself so like I don't think that there, there's a lot of mystery to Carl in terms of what his, his why he's there but his motives become mm-hmm. clearer and clearer as it progresses and so there's this and there's a growth to him as well, which I loved. And so, mm-hmm. like, he's this very meek character. And when and when Lucan is first being confronted, when the, they find their truck kind of halfway up the hill, um, they're like, just get out of here, Carl. And he does. 
he doesn't yeah. stay to help Lucan and it eats him up inside, but he doesn't know how to like stand up to people. So he just does what he's told and he goes and, and yet there's compassion for him because later Carl is like, why do you know who I am? Or you know who I, I I'm not. Why haven't mm-hmm. you told the Bowers? And Lucan yeah. says, because I think you found a family that you care about and I'm not going to take yes. that away from you. And it was so mm-hmm. moving. And like, yeah. and, and it made me love him because later on, Cameron Mitchell says to him, you were, when I told you I had to, I found people to be your parents, you were slobbering all over me. You were begging me mm-hmm. to take you to these people. Mm-hmm. He wants so badly to belong somewhere. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. he becomes this really, I have so much compassion for him. He's so sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And I love that they did that with this character in like 45 minutes, this guy that we're never going to see again, but I'm always going to remember Carl. You know what I mean? And, and so they just did this fantastic job, like character building in this. And again, family building, because I don't know if he's going to tell the Bowers. I think he's going to have to what happened, Mm -hmm. but there's this idea that this, their relationship is going to continue. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. And probably much better because they're about yeah. to discover whatever it is is on the land. Yeah, that's so right. Things are going to go south, south forky pretty. Uh, <laughs> Maybe pretty that's quick. how South Fork got started because this is where <laughs> the time that Dallas first aired. True. Yes, this is true. This is this. Is, I think Dallas is like two, two, three months from now. I think is when Dallas yeah, so is. So. We're right there. I, I, and I think there's, 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 there's a great moment with the um, I don't know why I keep calling them the. Um, the Lost Boy. I guess that's because the name of the episode. I'm just going to yeah. keep calling them the Lost Boy. It's not Boy. Kiefer Sutherland, where, but it's not. No, it's not. Um, where uh, after the fight scene on the hill, which I just had playing, and is really, he shoots that in such an odd way. Um, it's it's like the that like the shot where Lucan's on the ground, and you see the four of them looking at him, and they're all like around, like yeah. the camera, it's like Last House like on the Left around. or something, right? Yeah, it's it's really odd. And then these moments where like like people stand up and they rise up, and they're only like the bottom half of the fr- they don't fill up the frame. They're almost like they just rise up in like the bottom half of the frame, and it's like it's like it's it's kind of an interesting like. Huh, I wonder why he did that. That's kind. Of, it's kind of makes everything. And then it keeps coming back to Cameron Mitchell, who's sitting in the car with some woman who I don't recognize. Um, oh, I love her because she like. She, I guess she's his girlfriend or wife, and she like lights up when she sees things are going to get really intense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She. Um, and, and and the um, and the, the as as Lucan is walking home from that 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 struggle there, I like when the the lost boy picks him up and he's just so ashamed because he's like, I ran away, you know, they they told me to leave and I left you there. Yeah, and he, you can see just how conflicted he is. Like, why I shouldn't have done that? But he's I got a lot of growing up to do, and and I guess yeah. Lucan helps him that. And and I don't want to get off the subject, but I. I I do want to talk about Prentice in this episode as well, because mm-hmm. he's he, Prentice is tracking him oh, down yeah. and talking about how we've got these really interesting, compelling kind of gray characters. Prentice who's, who's hunting down Luke, Lucan basically ends up helping the family yes. uh, who are being held hostage. And there's this great moment when he shows up at the house and Cameron Mitchell is going to kill him. And Lucan mm-hmm. is uh, on the other side of the house. Like he's around the corner and he can see through the window that um, um, Tilford is ready to kill Prentice, and he's like, psst, mm-hmm. psst, "Come here!" Yeah, yeah. And and he, they're hiding under the house, and and I can't remember they're having this conversation, Prentice and Lucan, and then and then Prentice I think is still talking, and he looks back, and Lucan's gone. Mm-hmm. It's just this like silent, yes, like and yeah. then he's at the he's at the barn, which I thought had been burned down earlier. So they built that really fast. They, they yeah, they burned a 
bunch of it, but not not a lot of it. The burn, the burn, because the burning, it looks pretty bad. Yeah. But then they're back in the barn later on. Um, I, I will say one thing that the 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 interesting thing about this episode, I for for me just writing wise, um, is that it's sort of like there are certain all the bits apart from I think the Lost Boy stuff are are so um streamlined in the way they tell the story you know it's like there is an attractive young lady in this oh yeah but she's she's only here specifically to cause the trouble right cause trouble because it starts off with an attractive young lady driving and she picks luke ann up and he says hey you know i'm gonna go into town for whatever so what does she do she drops him off in front of her very jealous boyfriend. Bubba. And not only that, she drops off a boy who might be Mexican <laughs> in front of her very jealous boyfriend. Named Bubba. And then it's like, bye, maybe see you later. And then drives away. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> she can't have done that like just randomly. That was on. And then the way she kind of, not really, but sort of forces him to dance, Lucian, knowing full yeah. well that her super jealous boyfriend is there. It's like, those are her two main scenes. And both of those are to set up the anger that Bubba and Junior, that's all there. That's all she's there for is to, and it's almost like in another episode, there may have been something, there may have been a little more to her, but as it stands, she's just kind of presented as maybe a really bored small town girl. Yeah. Who's like, I have a really stupid boyfriend, but there's nothing else for me to do you could almost say that about cameron mitchell's love interest too in a way they're Possibly, like yeah yeah the women in this really yeah. take a side seat because we don't even get yeah. to know the mom ida may that well and she is kind of forgotten about after that mm-hmm. scene at the dance yeah yeah it's it, it's because no, normally with something like that when you introduce like the cute young lady she'll have something more to do but here she's just the catalyst for making the bad guys even worse and and, and she and she it's so odd. This is a bromance too between Bubba and yes. Junior. Yeah, exactly. So let's exactly. come to terms with that. And uh, and also Tracy Walters plays Junior and or Tracy Walter, and uh, he's great. And I don't know if you ever watched Best yeah. of the West. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he, he yeah, played yeah. Frog, and he's yeah. a Repo yeah. Man, and um, mm-hmm. you know him. Yeah, yeah he's so good. And and I like the way he's written here because he's like this hillbilly. And what does he he says? What is that rabbit line that they have? And he's like, that oh. means get, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary or whatever he talks yes, about. Yes, which dictionary. has 3,000. <laughs> yeah, it it's, means this. And he goes through the list of like synonyms. And it's and mm-hmm. he's like, this really interesting character. I really like Bubba and Junior, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't like them. Like, they're awful people. Yes, but I, exactly. I, but yeah. the dynamic between them is really interesting to me. And it's, it's uh, and I think, I think one of the, the, the fun things with the episode too, like, is, is not only like streamlining like, that, you know, the gal is there for two scenes and she gets Luke Ann in trouble big time in both scenes, you know, and um, after the big dance and everything, suddenly they're trying to burn down the barn. They've gone from we're going to do things subtly to we're going to burn the place down. Yeah. And not only that, but Luke Ann's in it. Yeah. And that's really yeah. interesting because when they first try to take him out of town, they're really messing with him, but they, they don't really hurt him. But no. when he's in the back of the truck and he falls backwards, that looked really upsetting to me. Yeah. Because he just kind of stays there. 
And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, is Lucan okay? Please let Lucan be okay. Of course he's okay. <laughs> but but I got really caught up in it. But they just kind of drop them off and they're like, they're like, the Bowers are this way, but the way out of town is this way. And I suggest that's the yeah. way you go. And he yeah. doesn't, of course, he goes right back to the Bowers. But, it's... you know, they do kind of switch into like, okay, now we're like ultra violent. Yes, and and even there, there's a moment after the big extreme close-up scene when the Lost Boy leaves. My immediate thought is the way this episode's been playing out, where it's sort of it apart from the stuff with 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 the, the Lost Boy. Um, what's his name again? I don't got to write it's it down. It's Carl. Well, it's Carl. Okay, it is Carl. Okay, I have I have Bauer and Junior and Bubba down here and just the lost boy in quotes i didn't think that but like apart from the scenes yeah with carl and luca and everything else like is so streamlined i mean they they don't really go into great detail about why it is cameron mitchell wants the land he just there's something on the land right we don't go into great detail about it because who cares he wants the land he's but gonna also, do whatever that's really good writing because like i said like they mentioned the surveys at the beginning they don't ever have to explicitly state that yes, it's true. it's on rich mineral land right we just mm-hmm. know and and that's really clever writing and it allows them to like like go around that and make that can, the backstory and then and then concentrate on carl and lucan because it is it is a MacGuffin, really. It, all you need to know is that the bad guy wants the land right and he he's gone from being subtle ish to just send it to send it Bubba Jr., who everybody knows, onto the land with gasoline and, cans. And then just finally showing up with the shotgun. He's like, the- <laughs> yeah, I'll do is, it. The, the moment Carl leaves after the extreme close-up scene, my thought was, the way this episode's been running, we're going to cut immediately to Cameron Mitchell Jr. and Bubba showing up on the property and doing something extreme which is exactly what happens. It immediately, after after Carl gets in the car with Lucan and they drive away, it immediately cuts to like Lucan in the barn and he's like, what, huh? And all of a sudden the guys show up with guns and it's like, they, it's, it's, it's interesting because they, like I said, Carl and Lucan stuff, there's, there's development there, but everything else, they're just there. It's almost like the writer has said, well, we know that they're going to appear at the place in the end. So why we don't need any setup. Yeah, we know that they want that land for some reason. We don't need to go over. We don't need to character, go overboard. It's a character story. It's a streamline. It's it's yeah. really streamlining because in the previous episode we got I think maybe too much time dwelt on the characters that should have been spent on Luke and the Wolf. Here they're just saying like cut to the chase, cut to the barn burning, cut to the dancing, cut to the this, cut to the fights, cut to the whatever, which makes it kind of a fun when you mix in the odd direction at times it makes it a fun episode which is is in some ways very formulaic but because it does cut those moments out it keeps it moving yeah yeah so it was really interesting it was just it was visually it was stunning and and i really Mm -hmm. liked carl like i fell in love with him and i don't think i've seen the actor much i actually looked him up and he died very young um from hiv complications to hiv which made me love him even more i just felt like Mm -hmm. oh this poor guy and he's so good in this you know and adorable and like and i i just i thought it was fantastic and i mean everybody's really great and i mean uh i think tish ray plays the blonde girl that picks up lucan she's only in a couple scenes but she asserts like um a kind of a really interesting independence from bubba yes at the party scene you know She's living a different TV show yes, she is. than the one we're seeing here because you know that if we were to like 
if we were to like follow her for a day, you know, we'd see some interesting stuff there. Cause I, I think, like I said, I think she's stuck in this town going out with an idiot and, Just and she's yeah. like, what else do, what else do I do? You know? And she meets Lucan and she's like, well, you know, I'll flirt with them and maybe drop him off near Bubba just to see what happens. Yeah. You know, just one of those characters who's just like, I'm just going to do something a little, maybe slightly reckless just to see what happens, just, just to out. liven, just to liven things up. So I'm sure like if in another world, there is a TV show about her. Yeah. Which I want to see. The, I really like her. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. But, but oh, I mean, overall, it's an interesting episode because I think if, when you compare this to the previous one, they both, there are some big similarities in them, but they're, they, they, um, they sort of uh, present themselves in very different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and I actually think if they would have found a way to do the streamlining of the story with sort of the characters uh, of, of this one, with sort of the characters, with like a Leslie Nielsen type thing in the in the first one, along with the foresty stuff, if they'd been able to combine those two, we would have had a perfect episode. As it is, we I think we almost do. There are just some some things that because because like I like the streamlining, but at the same time, there are a few moments with the streamlining where it's like, OK, so we're not even trying anymore. We're just like cutting right from he shows up in town. <laughs> he, he shows up in town and he doesn't even get to he doesn't even get to walk down a street. He shows up in town and is dropped off in front of the racist rednecks who are going to pick on him. We don't even have like he doesn't even have a free moment where he can look around. He's yeah. like, we know this. We know this is going to happen. So why not just put him right here? Yeah, why? We're not just. We're not going to push him around this stuff. Here you and, go. And 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 in one respect, I like that. And in another, I'm almost like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we're that deep into the show where they can do that yet. But it works mostly. So so yeah, I think it's a it's a fun it's a fun episode so far. Like you said, we're 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 firing all cylinders. I do I do. The only thing is, I um I do uh. I, I did sort of wonder when when he arrived when when Lucan arrives there and he's got the newspaper and he's like, tell me how you found him. You know, and I'm like, is this why he traveled from Bigfoot country to Sawyer land, <laughs> you know, to uh, to to ask someone how they found their. He had parents? a question. Yeah, he had. A question. He had I mean, I, I would have thought he must know how to use a phone. Right. Maybe he could have called. It it just seems weird to me. It just seems weird to me because he goes there. And my first thought was, wait a minute, are these meant to be his parents? And then for a second, I thought that, that I thought, no, he actually is here just to ask the guy that. And of course, obviously he gets caught up in it, but just the fact that he does this and the bounty hunter sort of goes, he's going to go there is it was just, if you can forget, if I, once I can forget that, why he's there, the episode rolls along nicely, yeah. but the, what brought him there makes me go, wait a minute. What? No, and it's, if it's only a... Carl had answered the question more directly, then, yes. it, then none of this would have happened. So this really is all on Carl's shoulders. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would have, Luke would have grabbed a cab and just got out of town. Just been done. But I do. Yeah. I also liked watching Prentice working with Lucan to save the family. Mm -hmm. Like it was such an interesting yes. dynamic. And I, I don't know. It if, is nice. Yeah. I don't know how Don Gordon's character is going to roll from here, but yes, but he's compelling. And I like that he's not good or bad. He's just this guy mm -hmm. doing a job and he has good things about him and bad things. And it's just, it's very complex. Yeah, and I mean, because he, I mean, he could have legitimately when Lucan steps out there and he sees Lucan, he could have gone up to Lucan, thrown cuffs on him. He's got the gun, 
he could have gone right, put cuffs on him, got in the car and driven away. <laughs> You know, done. and it could have, yeah. and and then the next day they would have seen like an in cold blood style headline about you know farm family murder. Not you the know, powers. Kind of yeah, exactly, exactly. But but just, I mean, maybe that was in another world. That's the way the episode went. And there's the pause moment, and you think he's going to help Lucan out save the save the powers. And then it just cuts to him with Lucan in the backseat of the car, handcuffed, and they're driving away. Yeah. And you see in the background like a barn and a house on fire. Yep. <laughs> like it's it's and it's fun that he joins. I mean, like it's a fun moment to see like Luke and Apprentice both crouch down, peering through the little window, and Cameron Mitchell with his fatigues on and the and the. Oh rifle. my god! When I saw him in the fatigues, I was like, oh yeah, nobody's gonna see he's there. <laughs> like, why did he wear that? I don't know. He's in the rut. They told him he was going to be in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, I don't really uh, understand don't the outfit there. But is Cameron Mitchell but, and all is forgiven. Yes, exactly. And I, I now I have one more thing, and then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask you if you have anything else. But the, I do find it slightly odd that I mean, I guess in an episode where I felt like they were streamlining things and just kind of saying we're cutting to the chase, we don't need to. You don't need to see if we're going from A to D. You don't need to see B and C. You just need to know A happened and D is going to be there. Um, there is a weird moment at the end where. Um, they capture the bad guys and then the bounty hunter, the Bowers. And he says something like, well, you know, Lucan helped us. Yeah, Lucan helped, but darn it. Now I have to start all over again. It fades to black. And then when it fades back up, the credits are rolling and you see Lucan in like the field behind them running away. And I thought, you know what? I don't mean to be rude, Mr. Bounty Hunter, but the way the way he says, I got to start all over again, makes it, and then it cuts to the credits, made it sound like we're at the end of the episode. I can't, it's over. But it's I also, to, there's a letter for Carl, too. Episode. Lucan left a letter for Carl. And oh, true, true, yeah. Also, which I, it's interesting because one of the things I thought about was in the last episode, uh, him and Penny have a whole kind of like, thing that happens uh, when everything kind of wraps up yes and, and here we don't get that but i think i yeah, wanted it more with carl yes. than i did it, with penny it, yeah yeah exactly yeah i i, I it kind of it it ends really abruptly yeah i would agree Al- almost almost again like they they were like eh, you, you you know that he's not going to get caught you know he's going to be on the run we caught the bad guy it's over because like I said, it really does feel like the bounty hunter is saying, you know, because it's like you almost want one of the Bowers to say, no, you don't have to start over. I can see him. <laughs> he's right there. He's right there. He's jumping. He's jumping the fence. Ida he's, May. About six, six, he's about 60 feet away. Why didn't get Ida May car. say that? But they loved him. Get, get, get in your car and, and just chase him. You know, I think you could still catch him. He's only 50 feet away. But there is a feeling that since it cuts to the credits, he's saying it because it's like, the episode's over. I, I didn't catch. I have. I have to catch him unless it says to be continued. I have to catch him by the end of the episode. I have to fade to black for now, guys. If, yeah, we we're fading to black now, and I will return when he's at Luke Ann's at his next location, and hopefully, I will find him there. But there, it really does. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that. It does feel like he said, "Damn it, we're at the end of the episode, and I lost him." Oh well. Next time, See and next hopefully week. next, hopefully next time won't be three months like they did to us that yeah. one time of the schedule. So, but uh, yeah, overall, overall, I like the episode. I uh, there, again, I don't think I don't I don't think it's a perfect episode because every once in a while the streamlining of it kind of made me go, eh. but but overall, I think it's 
it's got it's got it's it's interestingly directed and it moves pretty quick and there's some fun stuff happening in it and you do learn like i said that once the credits roll the bounty hunter can't go any any further no it's like it's like when you're not allowed to cross state lines and exactly. like the hillbillies that are being chased by yes, the fleet of police go over to the state line they're like neener 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 it's kind of like that you know, you know what I would have loved to see in something like that, where they like they're chasing them to the 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 the, the state line, and then they like the the bad guy drives over the state line, or, or maybe the good guy being chased by the bad cops drives over the state line, and you know they always do that thing. Well, not always, but where they sort of like stop for a second. Yeah, like, ah, they can't follow us. I'd love to see one of those where they get over the state line, they stop, wave at the cops. And then all of a sudden, all the cops from the state they just drove into yeah, I know. I suddenly surround them. And they're like, yeah, we got a call from that cop in that car 30 feet away. And he he was asking if we would escort you to their state line. And I'd love to see something like that. That never happens. No, but I've thought of that, too, when I've watched those kind of endings. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you have anything else on The Lost Boy? I don't think so. I think I talked about everything I want to. I, I love this episode. I think it's great. I'm sad I didn't give it the attention it deserved the first time I saw mm-hmm. it. I don't. I, th- I don't think I did either. I do not remember this one at all. Yeah, and and that's too bad because uh, it's very good and uh, it's mm-hmm. got a lot of great character actors and it's worth it just for Cameron Mitchell. But Tracy Walter is a great addition to anything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it was a really good episode. I don't love it as much as the last one we watched, but mm-hmm. it, I thought it was pretty solid. I th- I think yeah, if you're watching the show, give I-, I would say give it a don't watch these two this one and the previous one back to back because I think there are similarities, um, and I think I think the the previous one wins out in the end, mm-hmm. um, just because it does have the wolf thing and everything like that. Whereas this one, if you give it some time, this what you got if you put some space in between the search and the lost boy, the lost boy benefits from the distance so um so that's the lost boy episode three of uh luke and i don't know which one is next oh because, i do i do oh my gosh um uh, just because um the lost boy is the last one on disc one of the luke and dvd set okay. so when the menu comes up i can't see what the second the next one is but uh, i'm sure it's great is it great is, yeah it is, is. I, don't remember, I don't remember the title of it but it features one of my favorite character actors of all time and okay. it also is up there with the search in that it's another one of those heart-wrenching episodes okay. oh, and i haven't watched okay. it since since i saw it a few years ago but i have okay. very strong memories of certain scenes in this episode that okay. um yeah i'm gonna cry the next day just letting you know <laughs> all right all right <laughs> something to look forward to everybody <laughs> um and uh so, so yeah so amanda um Working with find you online. What are you up to? I know you probably can't say most of what you're up to, but maybe one or two things. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you where you can find me, and then that's probably the yeah. best place to follow if I have anything to announce. But um, you can follow me on Twitter at Made for TV Mayhem, um, and also on Instagram under the same Made for TV Mayhem, or you can look me up for under Made for TV Mayhem on Facebook. Um, a very right. simple way to find me. And also you and I do a podcast, which I always forget to mention, called the Made for TV Mayhem Show. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, we do. We do. And you can look for that anywhere. And um, hopefully, 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 I'm working on editing the last episode we did, but I haven't had a lot of free time. Um, and but, your internet went out. Yeah, my internet went out for like a week and that set me behind. But I'm hoping to get it on a new server so it'll be more available to people aside okay. from just Apple right. Podcasts. So. So just look for that if you're interested in listening to us talk about TV movies, and that's it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and we were, and I think I mentioned this when when we did the TV movie, but we did uh, around Halloween or Thanksgiving, or I forget when it was. We we are on the commentary together, the Moon of the Wolf. Yes. 
which is a which is a favorite TV movie of mine. And and so recommend who put that out? Was that Vinegar that was Vinegar Syndrome? Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar. And they they did a really beautiful job with the transfer. Yeah. It looks great. It it looks fantastic. I recommend that. Pick up pick up Moon of the Wolf and listen to us talk about it. Hey, and and it's Lucan, right? Wolves. More wolves, same thing. Yeah, your own white point wolves, here. gray wolves. Yeah. yeah. So, um. Oh, and one more thing. I um. W- something I discovered, and I think you may have more knowledge of this than I do. But the, is is there or is there not a Lucan board game? There is. It does exist. I have it. I've Yay. never played it, but I'm going to sample it, and then hopefully Dan and I can do figure out how to play it online. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and then we will talk. We won't play the game online because that'll just be like. Yeah, I don't even know I get how boring to, that would be, but to listen to. <laughs> I get but, to be Bubba. Yeah, but we'll, oh man, I'm gonna be Carl. I guess. I, I guess is it like you're you're Lucan and I'm the bounty hunter or something like that. Well, you know, I don't know. I haven't even looked at the instructions yet, but um, All right. but we'll figure it out. But yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. I am Lucan. Yes. And you could be Doctor Hoagland. I'll be, I'll be Lucant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You could be Prentice. You could be Doctor Hoagland, but don't take oh, my Lucan. I'll be Doctor Hoagland. Me. No yeah. way, no way, no way. That means you just give me money for bus fare. <laughs> this is I, I do love that. Here's some money for bus fare. I'm the I'm the, I've been teaching for 30 years. I'm the tenured professor at this major university. I got your money for bus fare. Here give them more money than that. Ten dollars. Come on, here's, here's ten bucks. Bus fare in a movie. Good luck. Have fun. Good luck. So uh, thank you again. And next time, I don't know what episode is next, but I do know the next up, we got a little bit of Gemini Man. Let's get invisible, everyone. Here we go. everybody it's dan and welcome to uh discussion of gemini man episode three sam casey sam casey i've got the microphone in a slightly different position this time so uh we'll see how that goes uh i will say uh one of the uh, great things about this episode is the opening one of the opening shots of fountain of health spa we see a bunch of it's a put in quotes fat farm kind of thing and you see a bunch of uh people jogging into the entrance and you see the big sign that says fountain of health spa and um in with all the people there's a dog and you think hey the dogs that dog's burning off the pounds mm. and then it immediately cuts to the guy with the bandages on his face throwing um the shurikens the ninja stars at a cutout of leonard which you see later on <laughs> kind of stuffed into the corner of a um of a uh like storage room um and I haven't told you what the episode is about or anything yet, but these are just, I just happened to hit play on the episode and, and I saw that going. So we're going to do what we normally do. There's going to be no, the, the, I'm going to read you my review from some Polish American guy reviews things, which I did about eight, nine years ago. And then I'm going to add a little extra onto that. But this episode, I'm going Gemini Man episode three, originally aired October 7th, 1976. This is the th- third of the 11 episodes the third of the five that aired on the network written by james d perriott directed by michael michael caffey uh james d perriott i think a year from this point he would take over bionic woman for the third series of bionic woman he'd give us the bionic dog of course james perriott is also um uh known uh, as the creator of voyagers which amy the conqueror and i covered on here a long time ago and the creator of misfits of science which i will cover here on one day i almost covered misfits of science instead of gemini man but i've been saying i'm going to do gemini man for years so i decided to do that 
Here's the review, with a couple of interjections. In the first two regular episodes of Gemini Man, employees of Intersect turn out to be jackasses trying to take their employer for millions. The third episode, Sam Casey, Sam Casey, posits a sinister group of people working out of a high-class fat farm outside of Los Angeles that want to infiltrate Intersect and get all their secrets. Are these part of a super-secret group of anti-Americans, a group like Smirsh, Spectre, Chaos? Or are they from a rival think tank group trying to stay on top of the competition? It's never said. But they are not adverse to giving the Englishman extensive plastic surgery to make him look like Sam Casey. Ben Murphy's Cockney character, the plastic surgery guy, does look just like Sam Casey. But, unlike Sam Casey, he chews gum incessantly, has a Cockney accent, which isn't really that great, and has Pamela Susan Shoup kissing him constantly. I don't chew gum, I don't have a vague Cockney accent, but I envy the part that involves a lot of kissing of Pamela Shoup. Also, Sam, the actual Sam, gets to make out with Joanne Paflug. This episode is a win-win for Ben Murphy. Paflug does try to kill Casey later on, blowing him up in an abandoned mine, but I've had worse breakups. Oh, and I believe Mrs. Paflug, or Ms. Paflug, was married to Chuck Woolery at this time. Just some info. Let me hop out of the review real quick here. We've got a... um a shot of uh, uh, Joanne Flug. Oh, I know I call her Paflug. I look at it, I look at it this way. Her name is spelled P F L U G, and we've been told over and over again that it is it is Flug or Flug. Uh, I'm looking at it this way. I'm a Scrabble man, baby. You give me letters, I'm going to use all of them. So Paflug is delicious in this episode, and her little shorts. And she's she's uh, she's delightful as the tennis lady. And then right under that, I have a shot of Sam Casey. Well, the fake Sam Casey uh, making out with uh, Pamela Susan Shoop, and it just says Shoop. There you go. The story goes like this: Sam goes to a tennis ranch and is kidnapped by Paflug and company. Meanwhile, foe Sam with a replica of Sam's intersect pass and a, and a fake watch, which I probably say in here, and a fake watch. There is an interesting moment where they say we have to find out why. Um, uh, Abby and Sam have wear sin- similar watches or the are, are wearing duplicate watches. And then in this episode, it's also implied that Leonard is wearing the watch too. Um, so it breaks into the thing, ba 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 ba. Intersect and begins taking pictures of everything. Foe Sam mission is to get as many secrets as he can, and then to kill Leonard with the ninja shuriken. He's pretty good with them. Complications arise when one Sam escapes the aforementioned exploding mine, and two Foe Sam gets caught. Eventually, both Sams are roaming around the fat farm. They begin by confusing ladies in bathrobes. Then they proceed to get lots of kisses from Ms. Shoop, who doesn't know that there are two of them. And eventually, they end up in a pitch battle deep in the sauna. And then there's a shot of Sam, real Sam, and and the Pamela Susan Shoop's character when she thinks she's fo- he's faux Sam. They're making out in the storage room. You and Pamela Shoop are making out in the closet. What do you do? And then there's a shot of Pamela Susan Shoop kind of looking confused, and it just says, "Is Sam there?" In parentheses, invisible. <clears throat> Back to the review. The double episode. Gemini Man does it pretty early into its run. Thank goodness, or we may have never gotten one. It has a straightforward setup involving getting Sam and Faux Sam into their respective spots, but then those complications arise around halfway to the episode. The story goes from people intersect being confused by Faux Sam to the bad guys being confused by real Sam. The episode never becomes quite as exciting as it seems like it should. There's more potential for doppelganger shenanigans that doesn't get fully explored. And the bad guys are never fully, really explained properly. At the end, they're just bad guys and gals. If one isn't completely satisfied as the episode approaches the inevitable split-screen slash stunt-double fight scene, there is a whole lot of Pamela Susan Shoop and a bunch of Paflug to watch and enjoy. 
Uh, and then there's a shot of um, her leaping into Sam or faux Sam at one of those arms. What do you do when she jumps on you? The next shot is them making out, mainly smooches. If you come away from this episode thinking that Ms. Shoop is only suited to play slightly confused ditzy gals, I refer you to Silent Night on Holy Night, which is the Christmas episode of BJ and the Bear. She's awesome in that as a pregnant mother of two married to Ted Danson and on the run from the law for assorted reasons. She's the keenest. And her name is fun to say, just like Joanne Paflug. It does seem odd that two of my favorite 1970s and beyond ladies, who also have the most entertaining names, wind up in the same episode of a TV show that nobody really saw. And they're not... In a scene together, I believe, pop culture works in mysterious ways. And then there's a shot of her in her t-shirt, b- t-shirt, and her shorts. And there's a, there's a question: just why isn't she one of Charlie's angels, or why wasn't she one of Charlie's angels? And then uh, it ends with, let's see, Sam saves the day, faux Sam gets put away. The exist cadre of bad guys has taken him. Watch Ben Murphy chew a lot of gum in two different ways. Watch Ben Murphy face himself on split screen. Watch Ben Murphy scare about eight half-naked old ladies out of the sauna. Or don't. Enjoy him using his invisibility a lot, but mainly for gag-related stuff. The show opens with Sam riffing his desk for his missing, rifling through his desk for his missing wallet as Abby looks on. A security guard enters, and Sam keeps shifting materials around while invisible. Mainly enjoy another good episode of Gemini Man. Oddly enough, we're getting very close to when the show got canceled. Why aren't you folks watching this back then? I was three years old. Your excuse? Uh, okay, two more things. Oh, I have a link to my review of the BJ and the Bear Christmas episode. You know, I reviewed every single BJ and the Bear episode and two crossover, including the 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 TV movie, the Foundlings, and the two crossover um, uh, Sheriff Lobo episodes. But that's my link on the uh, Joanna Wilson's Christmas TV history site. My review of BJ and the Bear Christmas episode, and then I think I know why the Cockney accent for Faux Sam is so bad. Faux Sam has to master Sam Casey's accent, which is Ben Murphy's accent voice faux sam slipping occasionally into bad cockney is able to completely master real sam's voice which is ben murphy's voice so the good guys are fooled but later on real sam has to pretend to be faux sam so he has to adopt the cockney accent luckily faux sam has a bad accent which real sam is able to mimic perfectly and convince everyone if ben murphy had done a more elaborate and realistic accent it may have been tougher for real sam to fool the baddies again everybody wins except faux sam and the baddies. So that was my review back then, and I, I, I still stand by that. It's an episode that um, is fun to watch, and it moves along nicely, and it's fun to go back and forth with the two Sams, although your your um, uh, your mileage on faux Sam's accent, Cockney accent may vary, and the fact that the the, um, the bad guys seem to do that thing where they, they hired a guy to do major plastic surgery on who just spends the whole time when the procedure is finished, like speaking in an accent he's not supposed to be speaking in, chewing gum that he's not supposed to be chewing. Uh, He gives himself away by making a cup of coffee with a lot of sugar in it because Sam never takes sugar in his coffee. Basically, you've hired a guy to do this very undercover, in-depth, super special thing, done major plastic surgery to him, and he won't stop acting the way he used to act rather than the way he's supposed to be acting, which to me is always... You want to vet these people better. I mean, unless he looked a lot like Sam Casey already... But there's never you 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 don't see a picture of him beforehand, and when they take the bandages off, you look exactly like Sam Casey. So maybe he did look pretty much like Sam Casey before. Maybe he looked nothing like Sam Casey, and they just chose. Well, if he he must have looked a lot like Sam Casey before, because there's no way they would have got someone this constantly argumentative and this constant 
like being a jackass um, if he didn't look a lot like Sam. If he weren't halfway there. You know, if they weren't 75% of the way there already, they wouldn't have hired... You know, they wouldn't have just gone out and hired someone that looked like Edward G. Robinson, who was a bit of a jackass and said, we're going to make you look like Ben Murphy. They would have hired someone who looked a lot like Ben Murphy that just had the final tweaks that had to be made to the face. That's my guess, anyways. I I, I am... The the interest the interesting thing too is part part of the whole big thing is confusing Pamela Susan Shoup's character. There's also the thing where um she must really love Faux Sam's personality because or there must have been very little change in the face for I mean because you wouldn't think like if you know like if I was going out with someone and they looked one way and they had a certain sort of personality. And then they went to extreme plastic surgery and came out looking extremely different with the same personality. I would probably that would probably take me a minute. Whereas the Pamela Susan Shoup character never seems to have a problem with it. From from minute one, she seems absolutely fine. That whatever faux Sam looked like before, and what looking like Ben Murphy now, she's absolutely fine with it. She loves his personality so much that the way he looks never ever ever comes up. Never even for a moment. There isn't a moment where she looks at him and goes, oh, I don't know, you look so different now, or you're not the same person or anything like that. She's in it all the way. And at the end of the day, you know what? Maybe like Joanne Paflug, who was hired to be a fake tennis instructor so they could capture the real Sam Casey with the uh, help of a big hulking guy who I recognize from an episode of Monster Squad and then put him in a abandoned cave where they're going to blow him up. Maybe Pamela Shoup's character is hired to be sort of a link from when he goes to this old life to this new life. She is the link from one to the other. You know, it is like now suddenly you've got nothing. You're in this new life and you've got nothing. Um, you're now pretending to be someone else and that's all you are. You also have this really lovely, bubbly, boobly young woman who wants to, you know, touch you and, and, and kiss you on, on the mouth and otherwise, you know. And, and so I think I think that may have actually been really smart now that I think of it, hire on someone to love him before, love him during, and love him after. And to keep a, to keep a link there, to keep a, um, to keep a hand in. As it were, the the whole transition. Okay, I like that. Unless we could talk about abandoned mines that you bury people in, and you're gonna you're gonna uh, blow up the abandoned um, condemned mines. Um, that's a fun scene to watch. Um, he gets out of that using invisibility. No new invisibility rules in this one. So we haven't they haven't changed any rules apart from Leonard seems to have a watch. There no seems to be no change of rules or anything. Um, I do like that at one point we're in Leonard's office and. Where Leonard's office, I think, early on, or, and the camera goes a little too close to the top of the set. But then we're in Leonard's office when Faux Sam walks in. There's a ceiling on the set. It's not a great ceiling, but it's an actual ceiling, which we don't normally uh, see. So that's cool. And they got those great sliding doors that intersect. Um, Faux Sam does, he seems unlike Sam from the moment he walks in and talks to Leonard. And then he just immediately begins rifling through drawers. I don't, and I, when I say Leonard drawers, I don't mean like through Leonard's drawers. I mean through the drawers of his desk. And like I love that moment when Sam and when Leonard and Abby are in the office and they open up these sliding doors onto this bigger control room kind of meeting room. And there's Sam just picking through the faux Sam just picking through some drawers, looking at some junk. That's like he's. I mean, it's it's almost like. It's almost like who you know James Parrott was like. Well, he's got to get caught anyway, so why not just have some fun with it? 
you know, just forget it, forget about making it elaborate how they catch him or anything. It just just catch him. So uh, and that's fun. And then and then I love the way sort of immediately cuts from him in Leonard's office somehow making taking pictures of everything Leonard's got to immediately like sitting in a little restaurant outside giving the microfilm to one of the bad guys. And then suddenly he's back in there. You know, it's like okay, whatever. I I think um. I think we're working on the theory that we've all seen things like this so many times that we can cut out some of the middleman. We know that um, eventually faux Sam is going to get caught and eventually Sam is have to, going to get sent over there and there's going to be shenanigans between the two of them. So cut to the chase. We only have a certain number of minutes. And oddly enough, my episode, I could remember sworn the previous episode began with this time on tonight on Gemini Man, but my copy here didn't. It just began right with the um, shots of people at the Fat Farm. And I do love the the cutting in between, uh, when when they're at the restaurant. Use your use your use Sam Casey accent. How are things in Arizona? And then it cuts to them and this abandoned mine, which I, I think I I don't know. When they pulled up to it, I thought it looked real, but now it looks like it's a set, um, like a mine set in a big studio or something. I don't know. It kind of looks like that. I don't know. Does it matter? It's fun, regardless. Anyways, that the, that their plan is to take him out to somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, stick him in a abandoned mine, and blow it up. <laughs> I kind of like that to get rid of him. That's 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 very elaborate. You know, don't don't burn him, don't bury him alive, don't, don't kill him and put him out at sea. Drive him like a hundred miles away <laughs> from where the action is going to happen. Put him in an abandoned cave and blow him up. Well, yeah, I guess that'll get him covered up. But with the way television works and stuff, you know that if he had got trapped in the cave, someone would have walked by like an hour later and freed him, and it would they, everything would have been fine. It's funny as I'm watching Sam sort of on the ground, waking up, realizing the explosive there, and I know he's going to turn invisible a bit. I thought, I wonder like how many episodes of TV, not just in the '70s, like had like this sort of scenario with the bad guy about to get killed, about to get blown up, about to, like how many times has this been done over and over again? Luckily, this one has a little break in it because of the invisibility. The thing with the TV shows is you're rarely ever, unless you get someone say like Robert Conrad who's going to do some stunts. I was going to say William Conrad. Um, you know, Wild Wild West, he's going to do some stunts. It's not going to be, because it's TV, it's not going to be an incredibly elaborate escape or anything. And all you're hoping is that there's, there's, it's fun. Like this one is fun because they think he tries to run out and they shoot at him, keeping him back in there. And so he turns invisible, sneaks out, and then it explodes. They think he's dead, but he's actually lying right in front of it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because thank goodness he has the invisibility because, like, like I said, the problem with an action scene like this is they can get Logie. You know, the, uh, depends on the director, depends on the budget, depends upon the time they have, depends upon the writing. You know, it it could just be like um, it's the the invisibility adds an extra gimmick, adds an extra little bit of fun to it. Whereas if he hadn't been an invisible guy, we may have had to do do something kind of half-assed or or like I said, the, the certain loginess sometimes the action scenes in shows of this time, which luckily this doesn't have to worry about because he turns invisible. Now what it does have to worry about is that hilarious stock shot. I don't know when it is, about like eighteen and a half minutes in into my my region two DVD of this, that great stock shot of the explosion. I've seen that explosion before. Was that the same explosion they used every time a bomb went off in the execution of Part Two, the James Bryan Renee Harmon film? You'll recognize it when you see it. You'll go, "Oh, that explosion! I've seen that." That's like the stock shot of an explosion that shows up. That's like that. That's like whenever they have to sh uh, do something where there's like a wolf in the background, you hear that same wolf howl. Arrrr! 
you know, you hear the same howl, and you go, is that the same wolf howl? And the way you know it's the same wolf howl is, and you'll know this when you hear it, you'll hear that wolf howl, and then, like, the wolf howl will stop in the original full wolf howl. It goes like, uh, like, but a lot of times they'll cut it off after the, but if it does that extra bit, you're like, oh, that's it. That's that same wolf howl. Anyways, what the hell am I talking about? Yeah, the, the stock shot explosion and a lot of goofiness. The, the, it's it's fun watching them run around um, uh, with is which Sam is which kind of thing. And, and the um, Joanne Paflug's look on her face when she leaves the sauna with all the big ladies in it. Just the look of disgust on her face is kind of amusing, um, I guess. Uh, and and it's fun. In the end, they capture Sam. And, and I mean, the thing at the end of the day with this is that this isn't like, you know, um, you know, for, um, it isn't like, I was going to say that there's a, there are a lot of Doctor Who duplicate episodes, but there's the Death of Doctor Who episode over in episode five of The Chase from 60, 65, 1965, and that has duplicate doctors in it. But the thing with that is that um, the, the real doctor acts like a super jerk, so he confuses everyone into thinking that he's the fake doctor. But then the first doctor was kind of a jerk sometimes anyways, and some of the doctors are anyways. And so so you get kind of that one where it's an argument between them and they have to... And, and there's no gimmick, you know what I mean, uh, to kind of make you think, oh, it's this one rather than that one. They, they can keep pull it off until something in the end gives them away. The great thing about Gemini Man, of course, is that they can do the which Sam is which, but the real Sam just has to turn invisible. In fact, that's what they do earlier on when faux Sam is in the office and Leonard gets a call from real Sam and says, turn invisible. Real Sam on the phone turns invisible and it registers on all their watches so they know they're with the faux Sam. Boom. Um, let's see, throwing the shurikens at the cutout. He throws some of those shurikens at uh, Leonard. Leonard hides behind a big computer bank. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Pam and Susan Shoop running around, um, the Cockney accent, the, the, the fight in the sauna. And like I said, Sam just has to turn it. The, the, the tricky thing is that it when the two, if the two of them have to fight, then Sam can turn invisible, sure. Um, but it's 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 tricky actually. If the two of them have to fight, and Sam can turn invisible, well, that that means the foe Sam loses immediately. It's it's actually tricky to do a double one in one where the real one can turn invisible and the foe one can't. The foe one doesn't know that the real one can. Actually, that's not too fair to the foe Sam. I guess I guess that's the thing that comes out of this 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 episode is you actually feel bad for the foe Sam. Yes, he's a jerk and everything, but he's been sent to the situation not realizing that the person in intersect and intersect must be much more important than we think it is because the last few episodes haven't really been earth-shaking things. You know, we had a crazy old scientist with a goofy robot that could blow things up. We had a fake chemical that blew up a truck. And then we had some jerks try and take over another jerk's company. You know, it hasn't been like Intersect to save the world three times. Uh, but they must have important stuff going on there, obviously. Um, I mean, the, the thing the last two episodes have shown is that um, the bad guys don't really have to wait. The people working in Intersect will eventually leave and try to do something with the um, with all the stuff, top secret stuff they've created. So all they have to do is just sit around and wait. But um, but yeah, it does it does strike me. And then I'll stop talking. That um, and like, like I said, it's a fun episode. It's another it's another fun episode. It's not, it's not quite as um, the the back and forth shenanigans. It's not farce. It's not noises off. It's not you know. It's it's not classic 
um, farce, but it's got enough charms to it. And Pamela Shoup is there the whole time, so you can focus on her if if you're sick of looking at two uh, Sam Casey's. And some aren't. Some could look at three. And uh, yeah, um, I I think it actually occurs to me that having sent him in there not knowing that Sam can turn invisible puts all the advantages in Sam's court. Because Sam, because the guy, because they say right off, we don't know why they have the watches on, the same watches on, and that's almost the first thing Leonard says to faux Sam is, oh, there's something wrong with my watch. What does your watch say? But fake Sam doesn't know what the watch is. He doesn't know why they have the watch. He doesn't know Sam turns invisible during the final fight. He doesn't know Sam turns invisible when he's trying to convince Leonard that he's the real Sam. He doesn't know Sam. He could try. He could. He could have spent a half an hour trying to convince Leonard that he was the real Sam. As Sam would have just taken one second, turned invisible, and gone to Marv's Marvelous Burgers. That's where um, Marv's Marvelous Burgers is where um, uh, faux Sam goes and he gets some coffee and things. Um, the burgers look okay. They got the sesame seed buns. They all had sesame seed buns at that time, right? Marv's Marvelous Burgers. Sorry. So, it's a, yeah, it's a fun episode. James Perry, if you see his name on a script, it's probably going to be a, a, a fun script. I, like I said, the, the second half could have been sprightlier, I think. I think there's enough fun stuff going on there. I, I think it's the direction, possibly the editing. It should have been treated more like, a, you know, I went in through this door, you came out through that door. It should have been more farcical, more fun, but it's... it's um. At the end of the day, the fact that one of them could turn invisible and the other one can't kind of ruins it because the bad guy should be the one with the extra gimmick. The good guy's got nothing. He can't even remember to keep his accent or stop chewing gum or stop putting the sugars in the coffee. Why does Abby pick up Sam's coffee and take a big sip of it? And why does she complain about? I, I don't know. Uh, it's just, it just. I mean, I could see. I could see why they do that to sort of give away that maybe this isn't the real Sam. But you already saw him picking through all the stuff, and he doesn't know what the watch does, and whatever. It's a it's a fun episode. You know, any complaints I have are just um, from over-examining the episode. I think you could sit down, watch it, have super fun. It's got Paflug. It's got Shashoop. It's fantastic. And now, oh my gosh, now. We've got a brand new old show. We've got we've got a uh, guest host for this next show who you have heard before. And you like him. You love him. He's a good guy. I hope you do. I'd hate to bring back someone and you hear it and go, oh, this guy. But I think you like this guy. He hasn't been on the show about a year. And he's back to discuss this brand new old show. And we're going to get it. We're getting out of the 70s. We are now in the mid-80s, 1983. I'm going to play you a little theme. And then we're going to be all over it. Listen to this. <laughs> Rogers for Video Game All-Star. We are in 1983, and we are going to talk about a little show called Video Game All-Stars. Oh, it's Dan, by the way, everyone. Video Game All-Stars. This is, it's, I don't, I don't quite know, I think you'd call it like a, it's not a cable access show, but it was a show made for, like, cable stations somewhere in Colorado. 
They make three episodes. We're going to talk about the first one here. It's about video games. There's no real plot. It's just basically lots of footage of like teens and younger playing video games in various arcades um, and a very serious gentleman talking to teens about playing video games and also talking to a psychologist and... Um, uh, but I, I, I will. I'm, I'm going to stop yakking there because I want to get right into this. Because I brought with me, I have here, a video game all star of his very own, Mr. Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you? We thank you for having me. <laughs> Yay! So we're all here and we're a bit nerdy. I think. Uh, uh, I think we we both used to play. I mean, I still will play video games. But but this this was the time. This was this was '83. This was video games were huge. Uh, video arcades were huge. I mean, we're, we're getting into the vicinity here of the, um, the big video game crash, um, but but it's not really here when these episodes are airing, more or less. So we're in kind of a beautiful, everyone's playing video games, everyone's having a great time kind of thing. And um, so I, 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 I I've never done a show like this before that doesn't. There's no plot. It's just. 25, 26 minutes of people playing video games and a very serious man in a, in a, in a suit and tie and vest talking with kids at the Quarter Flash Arcade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I, I loved uh, the, the Les Nessman reporting on this yes. um, <laughs> with his out yeah. of control hair. What was going on? With yes, that? yes, he. <laughs> oh my God, he 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 was the um. I will say this: they they do they do actually something clever, which is the first person you see interviewed about games is a young lady. Yeah. All the rest of them are guys, but it's just like just to show. No, it isn't all guys. We found one lady who would talk to us. And yet they all have the same feathered hair. They do. They all, most <laughs> most of them have the same feathered hair, and they all sort of. And most of the guys they interview who are around they're around teens. They're they're teens basically. Occasionally there'll be a guy who maybe looks like he's in, he's in his early twenties, and you know is maybe kind of hitting on the gals like, hey baby, I I can hit a million on Galaxian, you know, and um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so so there there's a lot of um, uh, kids. Um, teens and such explaining why they love video games and as you would imagine a lot of the times so why do you love video games well I love video games because they're just you know they're just really great I love playing them and they, so and they, cool. sort of, and they do that thing where they start off strong and then they, the more they speak the more they fade away um, yes. and they're sort of not always helped by the fact that um, there's some strange editing in this where the oh, yes. the, inter the interviewer is almost like never in any sort of proximity to the interviewee. Uh, so you, you'll hear like, um, you know, he'll be on the microphone and he'll be like, uh, I'm going to uh, interview some people now. And then it'll cut to a shot of like a teen. And then you'll hear like clearly like a voiceover. What do you think of video games? Yes. <laughs> and then it'll cut to the kid talking. Then it'll cut to a shot of the interviewer just standing in, in front of a random game, nodding his head and looking intently. And you're like, you're not anywhere near one another. Right there, and it's not—it's not terribly convincing, but it's charming. Yeah, it's—it's it, it's, real. It's got that uh, local non-network affiliate feel. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> just, like, just... oh god, we've got to fill, uh, you know, we got to fill thirty minutes at uh, four thirty in the afternoon on Sunday. Yes, and just like <laughs> like a guy with the camera and someone with the mic and the interviewer. Maybe maybe the interviewer made. I don't know who made the show, but um, I think the guy who made the show actually posted them all on YouTube, which is where you can see them. And they're um and they're they're just very charming and a lot of fun to watch. And you get like um uh there's like a sequence in here I think where um. Uh, kid plays Tron for what seems like about ten minutes. Yeah, uh, and um, then another. There's a section where they play. They play Popeye for a bit. Yes, and um, I think Gravatar is it or uh, a Gravitron. Gravatron, yes, comes in here too. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so you get lots of footage of games being played and kids describing them, and as as they're you know sort of kids who have probably never been on camera before, they you know sometimes they're a little awkward and then and then you get those great moments where it's like how did you get such a high score on on grava whatever and it's like well i played for 12 hours and i'm like wow oh there's oh, that my. one guy who literally i forget which uh, which game it was but uh he, he talks about it and he says oh i i played from uh november 1st yes until- and whatever, and you're like, holy crap! Did, did he just like not go to the bathroom or yeah. anything? If he's talking about like how it's, it's it's not like a a home game where you can pause it. Yes, and it's it's, it's so weird to think too because I would think you know you when he has to go to the bathroom he he maybe have someone else play, but but when you're at that point, who else would you let play? Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know, if you're on <laughs> level 100 and no one else has ever got that high. Who who else would you trust for the minute when I got I got to run to the can, you know? And there's got to be a point in there unless he's got very good control where he's going to need more than a minute, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so yeah. he's he's gonna I'm gonna need to sit down. Well, can we roll the game in with maybe, me? Maybe he's got like just an all liquid diet and he's got a bucket. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Something <laughs> something like that. Yeah, take my bucket. Take my bucket. You know. And maybe they like put like a hospital like like. Um, like curtains around him or something. <laughs> He's got, excuse me, I've got to go. And they pull the curtain around him. Oh man! Uh, but it's just yeah, you you hear that? And there, there's a there's a kid who plays Tron for a very long. And it's funny because when he's playing Tron, he like goes through the four boards, and then for some reason we kind of go through two of the boards again. Almost like I, I want to say there's a point in this where um he's like he goes through a couple boards. Like here's the tank board, and then the light car board and then the uh the master computer board and then on the light car board here's what and i thought you already did the light car board and there's yeah. a, there's a weird sort of editing moment in there well it's it's one of the things with the tron game and it was always pointed out as, as a uh a flaw is this really once you've done all four levels you've seen the game because it's basically yes. they just keep repeating the same four levels just a, a higher degree of difficulty yeah yeah, so it, it, it it's one of those games where it looks like, oh my god, four different games. But if you watch them, you can actually play them pretty quick. And like watching him, like his thing with the his advice with the tank thing is just stay in the center, don't move. Yeah. Okay, that's fun, right? Seems kind of cowardly to me. That's that doesn't <laughs> seem like a lot of fun. <laughs> um, now I don't mean to put him down. I'm sure he's great. But um, but what I mean I guess I guess part of the fun thing for me watching this is it brought back memories of playing of going to arcades and such. Were you were you a big arcade e guy? 
Oh, you were... yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the, the name of the one in this episode is like the Quarter Flash Arcade. There's Quarter Flash, uh, and there's also like Five Cent Video Game or something. Yeah, five oh, cent it's, it's called, it's called the Five like Center. Yeah, Five Cent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we had at, at our downtown mall. We we had Aladdin's Castle. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, and they actually made like the outside shape like a cave opening. Oh, no, that's cool. Yeah, and it was, you know, and it was uh, suitably dark and, and 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 probably sleazy. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, Pro- not possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only other place we had to play video games was at Chuck E. Cheese. You know. Oh, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, and so I, I you know, I would. I I was the kid that went down there with the roll of quarters. Nice. You know, and I would stake out whatever my game was at the time. And, and like, I don't know if this is how, like, you did it, but you would take your your quarters and, and like, you know, you could rest them on the screen kind of at a goal. And, like, you Mm -hmm. let – I'm playing ten times in a row, so you put ten quarters up Uh on there so nobody can bother you because it was, like, this unspoken law. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't – if you saw the – you didn't bother whoever it was. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's got it. He's got that one. Let's watch what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I I was – I was addicted to – I had a whole bunch of stuff uh, that I was – I really, really liked. It, it was funny. They had a bunch of games uh, that they showed that I wasn't really – I didn't really care about. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. They, well, I mean, at least in this one, it's like, you know, they had a – They, seemed they to also pick, did Frogger, too, on this one. I yeah, yeah. But most of the ones they showed were like those space games that were kind of like a – uh, a space Invaders kind of similar, where but it's like the graphics were so limited with just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm flying over this landscape, and, it, and the landscape is just lines. Yes, yeah, that sort of almost cave-like land. Like, um, there was that game. It was what was it like, Super Cobra or something, where you would yeah. go through these caves. There's sort of like the Gravitar, whatever the hell it is, game. I'm gonna say Gravity, whatever. It's sort of like that because I. I have somewhere around here, I have a basket full of Atari 2600 games, oh, and I would uh, pull yeah, them yeah. out and play them. And I have that one, I used to have that one, because I remember that was one that the first, it's one of those that whenever I'd pop it in, I'd die immediately over and over <laughs> again. Well, and it, yeah. It's, it's one of those where you have to like, you're and and you have to sort of pull away from a central spot in the middle of the the board and there's like a UFO flying towards you firing and there are asteroids moving around and you have to sort of maneuver it with the joystick I never figured out how to do it and I always wind up crashing into something yeah and I and it was <laughs> it was always disappointing I guess is what I want to say when, uh, which one did you play like uh did you play any of the ones in here like Frogger or um or Popeye or or uh, well I will tell you Trump. I loved Popeye I'm Pop, a big fan. Popeye too, yeah. was fun. Um, there's like, oh god, the ones I liked seemed tended to have more, a little more detailed graphics and stuff. Um, I loved Bagman, which is oh, where yes. you were like mm. a little, you know, almost like a, you know the Beagle Boys from um, from Uncle Scrooge, where you had like the mm. white and black striped shirts and, and the mm. little eye mask, and uh, you know you 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 would basically you're trying to rob a house. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought that was fun. I remember that. One. Uh, I liked Pe- uh, Pingo. Oh yeah, with the ice blocks with and the everything. The ice blocks, yeah. which is kind of like an Arctic version of Dig Dug. Mm-hmm. Which yes, I exactly. Also yeah. Really liked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I liked Tutankhamen. Mm-hmm. Um, food fight, which was you throwing uh, different pieces of food at an evil chef. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course I like Donkey Kong. That was that uh-huh. was you know a, a standard, right? 
Um, I loved Zaxxon because the graphics oh, yeah. were very 3D looking, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I loved Burger Time. Oh, I love Burger. Burger Time still still is one I like yeah, to play. You know, yeah. it's like okay, so you're now you're you're squirting condiments at people, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I liked Vanguard a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I remember if you uh, recall uh, the I think actually they cover it in the second episode, but the mm-hmm. the uh, you know uh, Dragon's Lair. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, I think the that... thing that was funny about that game though is it's not so much a skill because. Since it's pre-animated, mm-hmm. you, the whole point was okay. You just have to move the joystick in the direction of the flashing yes. light. Yeah, and you have to do it at the right moment because if you're right. off by a set, you're dead. And, and and the weird thing with Dragon's Lairs, well, maybe it's not weird. I I have I actually have a DVD that has the game on it. You play with your controller. Really? Of your yeah, and and it's it's funny. I've actually got all the way to the end. Of it, it took a while. What, what happens at the end? I never made it. Uh, you, 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 you basically you wind up in a huge um, uh, cavern filled with treasure, and you and the princess is like in a globe being held captive, and you kind of like at first you kind of sneak around and you're like knocking over treasure and you have to catch it to keep from waking the dragon up. Oh, right. And then like right when you're about to free the princess, the dragon comes to life and you have to fight the dragon. Then when the dragon's freed, you free the princess, she gives you a kiss and it ends. Wow. Kind of so, underwhelming. And, <laughs> yeah, well, you you, fi- you figure that you're going to fight the dragon in the end, right? It's dragon's lair. I mean, I think there's a scene where you fight like a lizard. It's the lizard king, which is a kind of more, which is like kind of the real climax one because that one's like a crazy scene where it's like the two of you are like in a in a tunnel and you're like leaping from side to side trying to chop up each other and it's it's pretty it gets the the it's it's a fun game all well you know what I'll talk about Dragon's Lair when they have Dragon's Lair on the um the thing but I I will that's a little little treat folks we'll talk about Dragon's Lair and how bad I was at it when it was in the arcades because that was they just had a few laser disc games they had Space Ace yes and then I think there was a Dragon's Lair to, yes, there but was. I, okay, all right. Yeah, and all three of those, I, I think, all were Don Bluth animation. Yes, right? yeah. yeah, and they had they had a few other Laserdisc games that um that uh were not like animated like that. They sort of I I don't remember the names of any of them, but there were a few other <laughs> ones, and they were like there there was one you could kind of tell they were Laserdisc games because they they looked really nice, but they were strange to play. Yes, yeah. The, the, the gameplay on those was always uh, very—I uh, I don't know—it it was kind of dull and, and uh, frustrating at the same time. And I yeah. think that's why they didn't pan out. Yeah, they always yeah, had they... a big splash, and then people got bored of them, and they just sit there, and no one would play them anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think I, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna I'm gonna save more um, more Dragon's Lair chat for the episode where Dragon's Lair comes up because this one. Um, this one I used to. It's funny. I, I I rarely ever played Popeye in the arcade, but I remember getting it. I think I think it was like 1983. I got the Atari cartridge for Christmas. Oh, and I remember I I asked for it. And I got. I think my grandma got it for me. And I remember getting home that night from the Budnick's house Christmas. I was ten and just playing that for like two or three hours. How were the graphics? They were, the, you know. They, I mean, they they were very limited compared yeah. to obviously the game, but um, they 
the 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 game apart from you couldn't do that thing where you punch the bucket. Right. That that wasn't on there. Everything else was the same game wise. So you had like the sea hag was throwing bottles at you. You know the hearts were coming down just fine. There were there were three boards on it, um, and the third board, which I think was a ship, didn't didn't look great. But <laughs> but they were. It was one of the it was one of those Atari things. Like Burger Time was like this. Burger Time looked like crap on the Atari twenty yeah, six hundred. Yeah. But apart from the fact it was a little slow, it played like the game. You had. You know, you had the, you know, a sort of elaborate maze of spots where you had to go to run over the buns and burgers and pickles and things, <laughs> and they were after you, and it was, and sometimes you'd wind up, like, in one corner, and you'd think you could go one direction, but you couldn't, so you had to go back down and around kind of thing. So it was like, like with Popeye, the, it didn't look great, but it played pretty well. You know, play pretty good, yeah. The best part of this is, I know, I'm sure, like young people, if if, if they're listening to this, have like just must think we're completely insane. <laughs> You're talking about like, yes, yeah, so you gotta get to the right place for the bun, and then yeah, you where the mustard. And you got, and you got to, and you know, you gotta <laughs> save up your your pepper because when you throw the pepper, the pepper at the killer hot dog, you know, it was, I always noticed that the hot dog was more antagonistic than the others. You know, the egg was a little, eh, but the hot dog always came after you. Oh, my God. So look, look out for that friggin' hot dog. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll tell you what I think is best thing, at least, it, it's so far, and I actually think best thing about the series itself, uh, the three whole episodes, <laughs> um, I the, the local commercials are... Oh, yeah. First of all, they're, they're hilarious, but it's, second, it's just such an interesting... Uh, flashback like a time capsule yes. of of uh, you know early '80s local television. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, first of all, it's like every everything they show. You know, like wh- whatever, whether it's an arcade or a um, uh, you know like a record store or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it looks like the location of someone's last photo, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know they look—they they look like oh my god, yes, we lost. Great. It looks like a dump. You we, know? Yeah, we we lost Jenny. She's disappeared into a van. Yeah. you know, kind of place. Yeah, everything, everything yeah. looks like a like, like a uh, you know like the haunted strip mall. Yes, you yeah. know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have to say, uh, they they have most all the commercials are basically for the most part for video games. Stores. Other arcades, yeah, arcades. Yeah. Yeah, and there's one like the, called the Jolly Roger, which had this great yes. you know, drawing of a pirate, and it had like a little guy, a, a sound go like, "Yar," you know. <laughs> and and their big thing, their big claim to fame is like, "Yeah, we've got every weekend foosball tournaments." Yes, the big foosball tournaments. Yep. <laughs> and yet, every time they show like the cameras panning around, there's maybe three people in the entire place. <laughs> Yep, they really picked off moments. <laughs> it's it's really weird because you don't you don't sort of get a sense like whenever they're in arcade, it always feels like they're kind of in different places, and yeah. you never quite get a sense for like we're in one location and we've settled in. It always feels a little weird. Maybe there yeah. were you know maybe there were was an arcade like every block wherever they shot made this. I don't know, but it's um. Well, it seems like Colorado Springs is like uh-huh. the. The, the arcade hub of the United States. Because That's what it seems to be. Yeah, because there's the there's the five cent one, which I love. I I never went to one where you played them cheaper than like twenty five cent. Well, yeah. maybe 
Maybe. Yeah. No, I, I, because it's it said like there's a dollar cover charge and then all the games are five cents. Right. I thought hey, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's because you get tokens. Uh, you know, I mean, like the well, the Aladdin's Castle was like that in a way where it was like mm. for every dollar you would get like six tokens. Okay. Uh, right. You know, uh, but I mean, they had with uh, during the course of the show they had the Q and Flipper, the Five Center, the Jolly mm. Roger, Playtime, Quarter Flash, Quarter Flash, Space Center. And Token Game World. Now that's all in one. Uh, Colorado Springs is yes. not like that big. That's a <laughs> that's, lot of video game places for like a little place is, like that. That is that really they, is. They, and they went all in, like, apparently. Mm-hmm. That um, and I like that one of them specifically says that it's there. At they're the ones where they send like to test games or yeah, something. The they, they send like Sinistar Liberator, yeah. which I'd never heard of. And a couple others, um, and uh, Sinistar is always fun. Uh, but it's 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 fun. Yeah, here's here's the uh, here's the guy in charge. Yeah, they send us the games. Come on down and play them. It's like wow, this is. Um, I, I guess that would have been cool to. Uh, I I don't think I ever. I was I was. I mean, we. I'm tr- I'm trying to think. You know, I'll save my arcade stories for the next one. Is when I can think of some more arcade <laughs> stories. But uh, but I like I like the concept that there's an arcade in every corner. And there's so many arcades that they're they're filling up all the commercial time on video game all stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think uh, I'm trying to remember. See, to me, for these these three episodes, with the exception of the hosts, uh, kind of blur together. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took I took the best notes I could. Yeah, but same. still, uh, my mind is wandering a bit. Did they talk about this here? Or? Well, <laughs> there, there's like there's one point. Where the, the one of the interviewer guy is like uh, he goes up to this this woman and child, and oh, it's yeah. like you know so hey oh yeah which is yeah you like video games and she looks like who are you why, yes why are you talking to me you know and she looks re- like genuinely terrified because he yeah. then he just goes straight to the kid who looks like by the way like the most gigantic toddler of yes. all time because he lo- it looks like a baby but it's like uh. three feet tall. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, you like video games?" Kid doesn't say anything. Goes back to the mom. Does he like video games? And she's like, "No." And, <laughs> and she's like, she, she's, the whole interview style is yes. hysterical because like nobody it, seems like they're prepared. Yeah, or wants to talk. <laughs> it seems it seems like it's and and the people who do talk are so awkward. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 like and I mean the whole show is filled with these wonderful moments where um like. You, the camera's just pointed at someone as they're playing a video game, and they'll play and they'll play, and then suddenly halfway through they'll just look awkwardly at the camera. Yeah. Then back at the video game, or and I thought mm-hmm. you shouldn't maybe don't use that. Cut around that. Yeah. You know, don't don't use that image. And um and uh and and then there's one there's one moment too where like the camera is like a low angle, like looking up at them. Yeah. So you can see like the ceiling. And and like the top, the like from the chin, their, their chins are the most prominent as they're playing. I thought, what an odd angle. Yeah. To uh, how, how did you get the, in there? Yeah, the director just said, I got to throw a Dutch angle in here. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I got, I'm gonna go a little crazy here. Got to make I'm it gonna, interesting. Um, the, the thing that's so funny with this show, and and like I said, I, to me, the part I think that was supposed to be, and this is probably just me being older, but. Um, 
the part that's supposed to be interesting, I think, is when they, he picks someone and asks them to, you know, show their, their yeah, the, skill mm-hmm. on the, whatever game. And like you were saying, they they spend like it seems like ten minutes on Tron, and they, that's the yeah. least interesting to me. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think as a kid, I might have been into that. But as an adult, I was more into just the 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 the, 80, the eighties cheese of of the whole thing. The sort of the just the randomness, like yeah, and, and and like the the credits and uh, like the bumpers whenever they would go to a commercial that, that, uh, with that, that voice. strange, yeah, that strange the animated like town or whatever yeah, it was, like, that it was weird, like, over There's again. a couple of them. There was like an video like, game. Like a, yeah, with the mountain. And then like, yeah. what looked like bizarre looking like uh, giant uh, like windmills and, uh-huh. and, and you know that video game All-Stars. And then they cut to what looks like uh, uh, Elmer Fudd on his way to a yes. spa day or something. Yeah, yeah. And he just kind of like Opens his arm like whoa, you know. He's like, like, is that yeah, is, is that, that the mascot, the the video game All Stars mascot, or who is that guy? Yeah. And then they show him later, like the same little character in a car, mm-hmm. like like he's room room and everything. It's... What does that have to do? Yes, <laughs> I love it because you could you could watch it a thousand times and and there'd still be stuff you go, what is that about? What is that? And then and then there's that stretch where it has the little montage and the game plays, uh, oh, the song plays yeah, with, with the like, the song. Uh, what the hell? I am you, your clone. Yeah, yeah, you and your clone. I am, and I thought this is around the time of um, Alice Cooper. Yeah. And I, was it on Dada where we are clones? We are, which is a great little tune. Um, but this one maybe is not as good. I, I thought they were kind of going for almost like a Devo sound or something. Yeah, but... yeah, and sort of, sort of a little like music video kind of in the middle, incorporating all the kids playing. But it's not. It's fun to watch, but it's also not very dynamic, and the song's just okay. Yeah, there's only so yeah. there's only so much di- dynamic action you can get from someone standing at a at a game moving a joystick. Yes, I mean, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> so like I'm I'm watching the credits on it. First of all, it says one of the credits is Talent Scout, <laughs> which is yeah. okay, Talent Scout. But Talent Scout Bill Maher. <laughs> oh, now, huh, I don't think it's the same Bill Maher. <laughs> it's spelled the same, and I, yeah. and I laugh my ass off. Uh, and, and then it says copyright 1983, Arf Arf. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think that. I think that's. Um, what is that? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think that's the the guy. The guy who did the show. I think he does like animation now okay. and such. And I think that might have something to do with like an early version of his company or something like that. I don't. I mean, this. Sh- I'm gonna now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wrap up our chat on episode one in a moment, just because we're just gonna flow right into episode two because it's all one big thing. Um, and I don't want these to go on forever because then we'll run out of stories when we start episode three. So, but I was going to say, yeah, this one also has, this one it has the Robotron bit and Robotron always drove me up the wall. I could never play Robotron yeah. for more than it, 10 it's seconds. A game. Yeah. I would just throw up my hands and walk away. There's too much going on in Robotron, but this, this <laughs> is the guy who says something like, I forget. He says he, he got a, a, an incredibly high score on Robotron. He got I got like 20 million on Robotron, and I'll play for hours, and I get to 20 million, and then I kind of get bored and leave it to someone else. Yeah. I thought, oh, okay. Uh, that that was new on me. I I'd, I'd never heard anyone say. I mean, I've heard 
you know, I played until like Dragon's Lair when the game ended, or I played till the game froze up. You know, I think Pac-Man does that or something. You hit a certain point and the game would freeze or something. And then, um, uh, but this guy, he's just like, I hit a certain point and I get bored. And I just turn the game over to some... Can, can you imagine that? Like, you're at 20 million. You've been playing for hours. Hours. And you just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to take off. You want to just finish my game? Surely that person's going to die quickly. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the thing that's puzzling about that is, was there no end game to that? I mean, if you're at 20 million, holy cow, I mean, you... You, you clearly should reach the end at some point, right? There should, there should be a wrap-up point, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the, that's what I thought he was going to say. I get to twenty million, and you can't go any farther than that. I mean, every, you know, everybody <laughs> knows with like with the Pac-Man, there was a kill screen. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah where it would like freeze up, and and that'd be it, and you'd be like, oh, okay. I Guess yeah, I'm you, done. <laughs> yeah, but with, I, I, I just love that concept that he just there'd be like maybe like a ten year old stand next to him. You want to take over my game? Sure. <laughs> then the guy gets like three steps away. I'm game over. I mean, it's like what are the chances of someone you turn the game over to also having got up to twenty million on Robotron? Probably slim. Yeah. I would bet. And so I just love that. I'd, I'd never heard that before. So, um, so then the guy plays grav the gravi whatever game, which looks kind of funny. He says it's a gravity game. I just see myself running into lots of walls with that game. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one at all. Yeah, and and I what what I'll do is I'll I'll mention this. And we'll wrap up this one, and then we'll go. Um, uh, we'll see you all on the next episode where we talk about part two, which is basically going to continue from where we left off with part one. But um, I like when they bring in the psychologist. Yes. Because that's, that's always the thing you do around this time, right? Because all the moms, uh, you know, and depending upon what, what part of the country you're in, they all thought this was probably satanic and we were all going <laughs> to hell for playing the games and stuff like that. And um, and I think I think doesn't the, um, doesn't the psychologist say something like... Um, uh, you know, this is good. Not not only motor, eye, eye, hand coordination, stuff like that. But like he mentions, like the D Department of Defense or something. Oh yeah, he's like, I think this is gonna have excellent military applications. <laughs> like, oh, and that's oh yeah, that's fantastic. So everyone's gonna be all the moms are watching. Oh thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. I My send you down. Abilities will come in handy. Thank goodness we're getting Ender's Ender's game is taking effect. Fantastic! This is great. Um, but that that was what. The, yeah, you'd have to bring in like if this were on heavy metal, you'd have to have a someone come in and say no, it's not satanic, you know. But you bring in a psychologist who's just kind of. I I, I got to say I don't know if that's a psychologist's office he's sitting in, but he needs a better office. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a depressing little desk in the corner of a small room. It's like, hopefully that's not your office. <laughs> oh God, yeah. But um, but so so that's we're gonna st we're gonna leave it hanging here because um, we're we're just gonna keep talking more about video games and stuff for the second episode. I just want to stop it here. I want to ask you, Tim, where can we find you online, or what are you up to? Uh, well, uh, my host host and I, uh, Kelly Hogaboom, are, hey. are uh, the hosts of uh, Beauty the Beast and the Bees podcast nice. about genre film, and uh, we're covering uh, Scream Six, which, oh, which nice. I just saw today. Hey, that gives yes. you the date that this uh, this is recorded. We're not going to tell you, <laughs> but it's 1983. I'm kidding. 
he would have gone to see curtains, I guess, if it had been 1983. Oh, wow. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, we're available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and uh, uh, come check us out, because I, I, I know Kelly's got something she's going to make me watch that's going to make me miserable. So <laughs> and, 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 and I will return the favor by making her watch her least favorite genre, a Jalo. So. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's all good. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Thank you. And um, I'm just going to I'm just going to stop here. Uh, We will be back next time chatting more about video games in the next episode of Video Game All Stars. So let's um, would you be my clone? Video Game All Stars. Dan again at the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I think uh, I think Amanda and uh, I have have some really nice Lucan chats going. And Gemini Man's just a fun show at this moment, and it's great to have Tim back talking video games. I knew, I knew when I I chose the show that it might be more reminiscence than um, in depth discussion of the show itself, and that's okay. It's about having fun, folks. We're having fun. We're having fun. So, uh, where, where can you find us online? Eventually, We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're probably elsewhere, but those are the, the three main ones. And let's see, at, at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter. Eventually, SuperTrain is the, the page on Facebook. You can email me at Danny, D A N N Y, slacks, as in pants, at yahoo.com. Yeah, that's it, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And next time, some more Lucan, some more Gemini Man, and some more video game all-stars. Yeah. I see you.